Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, January 14th. We're back from Ann Arbor, the Challenger event to kick off our year at the Varsity Tennis Center. Finally over. I've grown so accustomed to introing that event this past week that I feel obliged to intro it now. But if you missed any of our coverage from there, be sure to go check that out at the website, crackrackets.com. Tons of our work on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Cracked Rackets. You know how to find all of that. But what we are well aware of, the first week of the ATP and WTA seasons officially in the books while we were loving ourselves some challenger action in Ann Arbor. There was plenty of other tennis going on throughout the world. Uh, you had, I think it was the one ATP event in Doha plus ATP Cup, three WTA events to kick off the calendar year. So much tennis to recap and talk about. I figured we'd do a little bit of winners and losers from week one to get you listeners all caught up. And joining me to do just that on tonight's podcast, you may know him as a former Denison men's tennis superstar, the host of our Wednesday mini break podcast alongside of Matt Stokowiak. I, of course, know him affectionately as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, welcome back to the mini break podcast. How are you doing? Not too bad. Good to be good to be on with you tonight. Um, you know, I got to say this before we completely move on. There was a lot of action that we're going to get to, but I mean, of course, you had a you had a load of fun up there in Ann Arbor, of course, and you know that's not surprising. But I got to ask a couple things right off the bat. So, at least first, tell me your favorite match you watched, and then wow. second, overall best moment for you of the tournament, of the experience, whatever. Well, you listeners should know this was not planned. Wow, Jamie, catching me off guard with a couple <laughs> of questions. I, I like that. No wonder why Stokowiak likes coming back on Wednesdays. Um, all right, my favorite match to call of the tournament. Oh, I mean, I have two answers for that. Is um, Would you expect anything less? But No, of course not. You're yeah. never going to get a straight answer. Come on. Fenty Seymour versus Gomez Barrientos, the double semifinal Friday night, was the best match to call simply because the crowd was amazing. We were obviously on the University of Michigan campus, Fenty and Seymour, two current U of M players that they they had an upset over the number four seeds, Huey and Lamins, the round before to make that semifinal round. They won the first set in blistering fashion, went down 5-0 only to almost come back in that second set. I think they had a deuce point at 5-3 to get us back on serve went up 6-4 then down 9-6 then fought off three match points only for Fenty to double fault on the fourth match point down 9-10 but the crowd was I mean I imagine that's not what the challenger circuit is like week in week out but the crowd was vibrant Robert uh, Galloway who ended up winning the tournament alongside of Hans Hock he said look this was one of my favorite events without question. It was because the fans this week were so exciting, so engaged in all of the matches. And that one in particular was the pinnacle. But in terms of quality of play, I mean, without question, 
I mean, Ulysses Blanche all week long was sensational. Coming out of the gates the way he did, knocking off Noah Rubin seven six seven five was really good. But I mean, I called the Stefan Kozlov match, and as great as it was to watch him win over Bjorn Fortangelo, uh, what about Blanche over? Uh, you got a lot of play here, I know, and and you're invested. Right, this wasn't going to be answer. easy. I had so to the, give it to you, though. No, and I appreciate it. In terms of doubles, I said the Seymour uh, Fenty mm-hmm. match. In terms of singles. Kozlov Roberto Sid was so just interesting in the fact that Kozlov had 19 break points through the first two sets and he lost the match. I mean, Stefan Kozlov played, I had sworn on a po- podcast with Ben Rothenberg that I'm going to reference later on as well in this one, uh, that I was swearing off Stefan Kozlov for the 2020s, that he broke my heart too often during the 2010s, and that one of my tennis resolutions was going to be to just give that little pet project up. Uh, but then he came out and looked as good as he had did this week. He looked good to end 2019 as well. His forehand has turned into a weapon. Indoors, the serve was fine. Guy hits more backhand slice approach shots than anyone I know outside of you, Jamie, and it worked. And it was just, to get to see it in person to call the match, that's a dream come true for me. So I have to probably go, even though he lost Kozlov Sid, because Roberto Sid as the fighter, just it was an, it was a really high-level match. Yeah, no, it was a great semi match for anyone else who watched. But no, I just had to throw those your way. <laughs> yeah, and let me just quickly answer part two of your story, and then we can get into the action for this week. But my favorite encounter, and it was my first time in the play-by-play booth. Uh, mm-hmm. I, if you listeners, I'm sure, are well aware, volume control has never been something I've exceeded, you know, I've been good at. Um, it's I like to talk. That's why we have these multiple podcast forums. But I was on the play-by-play call, and... A chair umpire made a call, we'll say kindly, I disagreed with. And so sitting in our little corner, which was a court over and up in the bleachers away from our stadium court, I was sitting there, and when he made the call, I go, not sure about that one. And <laughs> later that day, the match is over, the chair umpire, I'm not going to say who it was, comes up to me, knocks me on the shoulder and goes, hey, by the way, you were right, uh, not my best work on that call, and I, <laughs> I don't, you know, it was hilarious in the moment. I was flabbergasted, but I don't know, should we make a big deal? Like, hey, if you knew you got it wrong, I don't know what we're going to do here. Yeah, that's Uh, so funny. (laughs) Yeah, it just, it was, it was an eye-opening experience. So I appreciate you asking that. And we appreciate our friends at Top Notch, at Oracle, the Varsity Tennis Center, all the people who made that experience possible. What a blast it was. So definitely appreciate you saying that. But with that in mind, and shout out to you and Stokowiak and Kale Hammond, of course, for carrying the load in terms of the non-Ann Arbor action while I was away. You ready to talk a little winner and loser? Always. All right, Westoff, give me a winners and losers sound effect, please. So let's start with a winner. And yeah. in in the spirit of the Ann Arbor Challenger, I'm going to go first. My first winner on the day, and it'll apply to multiple people, not just from Ann Arbor, but someone who qualifies in this group, the 1998 U.S. men. Mm. Jamie, you look at the accomplishments, or what they put up this week. Great week for all but one, and this is a you know a much heralded group. It's guys like Michael Moe, Francis Tiafo, Stefan Kozlov, who either made Junior Slam finals, won Kalamazoo in the case of Mo and Tiafo Kozlov made a final there, uh, Orange Bowl or, you know, top 10 ITF junior rankings. It's a group that people have known about for a long time, and it wasn't the big three that made noise this week. It was Ulysses Blanche, the 21-year-old American who 
as I mentioned on each of last week's podcast, was the best player in Ann Arbor all week long in terms of the form he displayed, the serve, the forehand, are really special, Jamie. And he strings his racket at 58, but the pace he can produce despite that, it it speaks to how talented he is as a ball striker. He that won hurts his. I'm just thinking about. No, by the way, oh my de- god, I know, even... devastating, Oof. right? But then you look at that. You like explosive forehands. How about another 1998 or a former college guy, probably the best player in the country last year on the men's side, JJ Wolf. He gets a challenger title to kick off his first full pro season. He had a Columbus challenger title coming off of his resume at the beginning of this year, and he replaces it with that Numea challenger title. He's going to be inside the top 200. He got a top 100 win over Roberto Carbeas-Bena, the number two yeah. seed early in the week. Knocked off Sagita in straights in that final. Looked so good doing so. Kozlov made the semis. As I mentioned, he knocked off Bjorn Fratangelo. He knocked off the number six seed, Olivo, on the week. He looked really good. Michael Moe gets the Australian Open wild card after Giron. Enough withdrawals gets in on his ranking. So Moe positioned to bounce back from injury with a strong start here in 2020. I think he's playing an ATP event either in Adelaide or the other one this week. I think it is in Adelaide where he is. Um, if not, he's in Auckland this week. That's actually where he's in Auckland qualifier this week, taking yeah. on John Millman first round. So, you know, all of these guys, 21 coming into the season, they turn 22 this year. This is a time where you want to see them make a jump. And I think they're all well positioned at the start of this year, four of the five at least, to do just that. Now the fifth one, and this is where I will get into my first loser uh, as soon as I ask, and this is how you know I've been in the play-by-play mode because I want to kick it to you now, Jamie, as opposed Mm -hmm. to just going on with my rant. Your thought on the 1998s, and for the context for the listeners, see, I'm going to sneak in another question. You know, the 97s, Paul, Fritz, Opelka, you can throw Chris Eubanks in there if you want. That's fine. They seem to have established a foothold in that ATP Top 100. At least Opelka, Paul, Fritz, all inside there right now. You look at the 1996s, completely different direction. Noah Rubin, the first of the group to win a junior slam at Junior Wimbledon, maybe has the most going on for him off the court in terms of behind the racket, but tennis-wise still floating around that top 200 range. Jared Donaldson was inside solidly that ATP top 75. He's gone out with injuries and is trying to bounce back this year. And then Ernesto Escobedo, who was inside the top 100, really fell off, started winning a challenger at the end of the last season, working his way back into good form. These three generations are going to be the basis of 2020 U.S. men's tennis. So in terms of the 98s, Jamie, how are you feeling entering this season? Okay. Yeah, that was a lot. (laughs) You just said a lot. And so I was trying to keep track of my takes as I went along. So I'm going to keep them as organized as I can, but but we'll see. So (laughs) going back... Going back like 45 minutes when you first talked about J.J. Wolf. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, what's so impressive when he gets – I mean, not only is he taking a challenger title, which is phenomenal, but it just it, the convincing manner in which he got through this draw, except for his win over the two-seed, which was that three-setter that he wins up, ends up winning 6-2 in the third, his closest match outside of that is three and four in the quarters. Every other match, two and two, one and three, that three and four match like I mentioned, and then semis and final both two and two, two and two. So – I mean, just what a way for him to just run through this draw and keep going on that momentum. So phenomenal start there. That is part one. Um, Wait, are we sticking to just JJ for part one? 
uh, of that answer until I move on to the next one, who would be Mo. But if you want to talk about Wolf uh, more, let go me for just it. throw in for JJ. He was the guy who look physically not the most imposing. He's not six three six four six five. I don't like know, so dude. many of these guys. I mean, he's no, 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 kind of a tank. So that's what I was going to say. In terms of the height, he's not as naturally big as some of the guys we see breaking through right now, but he's got that firepower of an Andre Rublev from the ground where it's just the forehand, when he gets a clean look, it's snapped off. I think his legs, are you see him in person, are as big as anyone proportional to their body, as yeah, you will huge. see. Yeah, he's a tank. I, I always say this. The fully fills his shorts and like I know that's stupid but that's the sign of a damn good athlete and so yes I agree with you his run at the beginning of this season only confirms what we've all suspected for the past 18 months that this is a guy who's ready and going to have success as a pro phenomenal yeah I couldn't agree more and I and this really excites me too and and granted it's it's probably wrong to put so much weight and so much stake um, into what happens at the very beginning of the year. But man, oh, does it get you excited. It gets yeah. you excited. And you're like, yes, let's go 2020. And, you know, whether that completely comes to fruition and, 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 you know, whether or not you can extrapolate that out across the year is, you know, of course, to be determined. But at the very least, it makes you feel good, right? Um, and so sort of a, a similar uh, similar thing along the lines with Mo, right? Um, we see in the qualies, you mentioned he's about to take on Millman. Um, that's going to happen, what, we're recording at night. So later tonight, so hopefully it'll already be, uh, well, listeners it's going to be done for you so we'll see how he performs against Millman but even in the qualies he drops what five games between those two matches taking out Ito and Dillian I mean so he's looking good and it's it's looking like he's ready to make this his year you know um so I'm very excited for that and to add on to that I'm going to keep doing this I apologize to piggyback because you finally added some structure to this podcast which is a feature (laughs) of the Wednesday mini break um but for Michael Moe this was a guy on a top 100 trajectory had in fact cracked that top 100 before dealing with so many nagging injuries over the past 18 months himself so completely echo your sentiment there that he's healthy entering 2020 is a win on its own he's into qualities at an ATP event here in Auckland a place where I think he made the quarterfinals a couple of years ago that on top of now guaranteeing himself a spot in that main draw Australian Open with a wild card potentially monumental January for Michael Moe for him to get things back on track part three for you Jamie Yep, definitely. No, I, I completely agree. So, oh, then where are we going here? The comparisons of years. Yes, I mean, um, obviously, it's it's easy to group. It's easy to group people by that by the classes. Um, obviously, I mean, I, I don't need to talk too much to the ninety sevens. They speak for themselves in a lot of regards. I think um, Tommy Paul is in that group, and he um, he's on court right now. Actually, um, he's had he's picked up some good wins in Adelaide uh, Australian tournament. Um, he just took out Jari actually in straight sets six three six two. Um, so that's that's a great win for him like I said he's on court right now and took the first set over Bedanay so um, he's looking good um, perhaps carrying some of the 97 weight on his shoulders for sure but he's also a guy who um, cracked rackets and outside of it we've we've really been looking to and rooting for this guy right um, there's a lot of things when you're watching him you just like the way he plays he's got good on court swag uh, shout out to Blake Burstein for that one um, he's been telling me that for years so um, just a guy you're always rooting for, right? And, and so, of course, looking for him to do big things in 2020. And, and it's looking like that that's definitely a possibility. So um, he, he's a good one to sort of earmark for the 97 crop. Any other thoughts on TP? Now, I'm excited to see him kick off his 20 season, 2020 season as well. I think a lot of the American men, we'll talk about them when we get to the losers, the 
standard for them at the challenger level. They've performed mm-hmm. exceedingly well. Dennis Kudla made a semifinal. Uh, Steve Johnson, I think, made a quarter semifinal before losing to Cole Schreiber. Uh, you know, college guys out the gazoo everywhere right now. Um, so I think at the challenger level, the ATP men, uh, the American men have been doing quite well. I think we'll talk about losers, the U.S. men at the ATP Cup. Uh, in fact, let me get to my first loser here because I think you bring us there perfectly. You know, of this 1998 cohort, the only guy we didn't mention, the guy who's the first loser I have thus far, mm-hmm. Francis Tiafo, who yeah. respectfully, and I, I, you know, maybe the sound effect here is wah, 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 but, you know, you, you talk about the way he's looked over the past, you know, maybe four months for him on the ATP Tour, you throw out the next-gen finals, I mean, we, he already played his first round match this week in Auckland. He lost to a fellow next gen guy, Mikhail Yimmer, six four five seven six one at the next gen finals. Tiafo beat him four two four two four two. So I know it's a different format, but it speaks to the trajectories of those two guys. For Tiafo, he lost first round in Qatar of the season to Fuksovic. That was another three set match. But you look in Paris, three sets to Fritz in the first round. Swiss indoors, three sets to Wawrinka. Uh, he lost three sets in the quarterfinals to. Dinner. I mean, that's not, he beat Struff and Maiden to get to those quarters, but still, mm-hmm. that's a guy, you, if for him, experience-wise, you expect to beat him in the third, lost in straights in the first round of Shanghai to Shapovalov, straights in the first round of the China Open to Zverev, uh, beats Karlovich, but loses again to, uh, to Zverev at the U.S. Open, you know, it's just... He's got a, such a big chunk of points coming off for him at this Australian Open. He made the quarterfinals yeah. last year. And I will continue to say, I think the longer the match, the better for Francis Tiafo. I talked about him losing in straights in China to Zverev. If you remember, it was a five-set match against Zverev at the U.S. Open. So I think his physicality in a best-of-five format shines through much more so than a best-of-three set where execution and fundamentals come into play and you know attacking the clear flaw in your opponent. And that's the fundamental thing with Francis Tiafo. It's three, four years in now to his ATP career, and every match you watch, expect his opponent to serve to the forehand. I just think the jury's out, and I don't doubt Tiafo's talent, his ability to continue to adapt over his career as he did. And it wouldn't shock me to see him draw depending, uh, make a third round, even a fourth round at the Australian Open, because he is that physically imposing on a hard court. But I do think going into 2020, when you're measuring up all of these American guys, Francis Tiafo is the one who there's the most information about, and I think we've really seen opponents adjust to the Tiafo game plan. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think people, like you said, he's been around a while now, so people know how to play him. And, and granted, that's the nature of everyone who's, who makes themselves a sort of a, a household name on the tour, right? Um, so eventually that just happens. But it, it does appear at least more glaring um, in his game in particular. You mentioned serving to the forehand, hitting um, hitting those attacking shots to the forehand side and, and letting the court open itself up if he gives you a short one, right? Um, or if he, you know, look, we, we know the technique on the forehand side is just a little a little wonky. We'll say that. Um, I can respect that. That's what I'm that's what I'm doing. That's what I well, that's what I did. Let's make a sure a little I'm wonky. A little wonky is a little generous. Fair enough. Um, but the point remains, right? So mm-hmm. this is this is definitely not something that's unique to him, but in the sense that 
it is fairly obvious on what to do, um, that's something that obviously he's going to have to account for. Um, he knows that that's going to be a part of his game, and um, obviously you can improve that. But you know, his forehand is probably still going to look like his forehand for his career, right? Um, you know, it, it, there are things that can be done. Um, however, for the most part, I mean, that's that's a stroke. I think he honestly go talk to Benoit Pair, see what he does. Um, Benoit Pair had a phenomenal 2019, and arguably Benoit Pair's forehand might be weirder than Tiafos. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where people have these sort of weaknesses and, and we understand that. I think for me, um, being able to succeed sort of in spite of those is going to be a big one for Chiafa. You mentioned the physicality, making these matches physical. That's absolutely what he has to do. Um, and, and in a five set format, you're totally right. That is, um, something, you know, the nature of the match, you sort of, uh, lends itself to that. So he's going to be able to do that. Um. I'm definitely not counting him out for 2020. Yeah, we have we've seen some stuff, particularly at the end of 2019, that hasn't been great. Um, like you, meant, you you went back quite a few tournaments and, and you know listed off some results that have not been um, phenomenal for Tiafo. But um, you know, not only his physicality, he I mean he's a mental warrior when he's out there too. So um, I think once he gets in a match, he's always in it. Um, it's just a matter of how well he's going to be able to execute. And then of course, you know, if somebody's on fire in terms of pegging his forehand. It might be difficult to get out of it, um, you know, and, and I think that's something he's going to learn. Look, he's 21, just about to turn 22, so he's still got a ton of time to figure this out. Um, so I, I definitely, you know, not selling him short by any means here. Um, it's just going to be tough for him, and, and I think he needs to get back on a bit of a confidence wave, understand how to get through these matches. Um, and I think another deep run at a big tournament like the Aussie would really suit him well for the rest of the year. I've asked you this question three or four times this week because oh whenever I whenever I called you, Ulysses Blanche would come up. Here's their rankings right now according to the live rankings website. Francis Tiafo 49, J.J. Wolf 181, Michael Moe 217, Ulysses Blanche 265, Stefan Kozlov 367. Same question I asked you in private. Oh, God. By 2025, question A, how many of these guys crack the top 100? Question B, give me the order in terms of their career highs by that point of their career. And then we can move on from this topic. The career highs on all. Okay, so Tiafo, would you say 49, but his career high is like top 30. I think he's gotten up to 29. So, um, you know, obviously that answers itself. I think in terms of top 100, I think top 100 is feasible for every, for all the names in that list, honestly. Um, I agree. So. I think that one doesn't scare me as much, particularly, I mean, if it's 2025, it's 2023, I don't know. Um, but I think top 100 is feasible for all of those guys. Um, in terms of ranking them, I don't know, this is a this is a lot of specific thought going into this. But, um, I mean, for now, let's say Tiafo. I don't know, He's he, it's hard to count him out given the success he's had. It, I feel like it'd be, it'd be doing an injustice to say, He's not going to be the top one, even though he might not be. Some of these other guys might catch up, but he's already had. He has already so much more experience at that top level um, than the rest of the crop. So let's put him at the top at least for now. I don't know what that career high looks like. I certainly think he can get above twenty nine. I I think he'll be in the top twenty five within the next couple of years at the very least. Um, so let's leave him there. Does that sound fair? Yeah, I agree. Tiafo won. Um... He, by the way, you're right. He has been in the top 30. And what you're betting now is do any of the other four guys crack that top 30? And if so, you know, what order? And so for me, to, I would say, we talked about this, I would go Tiafo. Oh, man, do I really want a heat check here? No. I, I, I'm I'll trying go to recall Tiafo. what my answer was in private so that I don't contradict myself. <laughs> I No, I, the good news is I'm pretty sure you had J.J. Wolf number two 
that's the hot bet right now as he's the closest to getting there. But I'm going to take a real risk here. I'm going to go, wow, that might be too risky. I was going to put Blanche one, just really heat check myself. Here. Uh, no, you, were, I'm gonna go, you, know, you were just in love is what happened. You saw him yeah. in Ann Arbor and just were simply in well, love. Well, it's real. Starstruck. It's, you just have to see it. The forehand and the serve will win him matches. And, I mean, the kid's 21 years old. Like, yeah. he's only going to get better. So I'll go fine. Tiafo, because I'm not sure. Uh, I hope – I think – I think all of them get in the top 100. I think four out of the five break the top 50. I'm going to go Tiafo, Blanche, Wolf, Mo, Kozlov, and that really pains me to put Kozlov last, but I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that actually, was that, I think the order. You went Wolf, Blanche, Mo, Kozlov. Yeah, I think I went Wolf. Yeah, that's right. That's what I did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I obviously we're, we're thinking similarly. And, of course, you know, this is just rampant speculation here. So somebody stop us, of course. But yeah, I was um, going to say for any <laughs> we, anyone listening to this podcast, obviously we've gone on on this topic for a little bit here. But you know, if you agree, disagree, your thoughts on this 1998 generation? If we forgot any of the guys there again, Kozlov, Mo, Tiafo, Blanche, Wolf, who we're focusing on here. Let us know your thoughts on that thing. But let's move on to our next winner and loser, Jamie. And let's yeah. go to you here. Your next winner on the week is. Yeah, my next winner, and you know, maybe even extended over a week, but her catch. Um, I mean, this guy has looked really good, and of course, somebody who I think collectively at Crack Dragons we've been rooting for, but particularly you and Matt, no doubt about it. Um, I mean, he's looked really good. He's 22, coming uh, about to be 23. He's a, he's a fellow uh, 1997 guy, but I mean, let's just look at what this guy did at ATP Cup um, for Poland, right? He he did a lot of things, right? He gets a win over Schwartzman. Um, it was a three setter, but great win for him. Gets a win over Chorich 6-2-6-2 in convincing fashion. And then um, his last singles match, he beats Dominic Thiem um, 7-6 in the third. So, I mean, even at the ATP Cup alone, we could stop the we, we could stop and say, wow. I mean, just look at what he's been able to do. And if this doesn't spell good things for 2020, I don't know what does. You know, he's proving that he can beat um, that top crop in the world. And so that right there is just a good sign in and of itself. We love his game, right? Big guy, 6'5", can serve, can really do everything on the court. Um, and now he's in Auckland, gets in, you know, gets a fairly routine um, first win, 7'5", 6'3", over Sinego. So, I mean, he's looking good. He's somebody, you know, I know we're out of our players to watch for sort of a series, but um, he's definitely a player I'm going to be watching. And additionally, he's somebody who's just looked really good in his recent form. Well, he's a guy who Matt and I talked about extensively on a mini break podcast that you can all go listen to. So a little subtle plug there. Well done, Jamie. Yeah, I, I would echo everything you say. I know Team Poland didn't break through, but Hubie Hercatch certainly did. Uh, mm-hmm. Beat Team. He beat Schwartzman. He looked really good doing it. Uh, so I would echo everything you said there. Any losers from you to kick the, this off? Yeah, I mean, well, actually... You know what? Let's stay, if you don't mind, let's stay positive for just a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> I see this. Just so you listeners know, we are scoreboard watching right now. Should things come to fruition by the end of this podcast, and we'll leave this part in no matter what, Westoff, uh, but we'll come back to the person he has circled for his second loser. But leave the sound effect in there, and that's a little in-pod tease. Maybe, Westoff, now would be the time if we're throwing ads in to go to that ad now. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just 
a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Um, but all right, let's go winner then instead, Jamie. Who you got? No, I want to go to another winner and another guy who really my uh, I guess sort of motivation for picking is um, ATP Cup results, and he's somebody you know shameless plug to myself here who I thought was looking pretty good. And that's Dan Evans. Plug to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, those exist. <laughs> um, no, but another one from the ATP Cup. I mean, it's Dan Evans. Um, the guy just looked really, really good, and and I said that even, um, you know, he just looked good, right? That three setter against Dimitrov, yeah, he ends up losing it, but played some great tennis, gets the straight set win over Goffin and Albot, and then comes out and beats Damanauer in you know arguably the best match of the ATP Cup, um, you know, seven six in the third, really just proving that he's back, right? I mean, a guy he's twenty nine, um, he'll he'll be t- turning thirty in May, and. You know, of course, there have been so many question marks around Dan, Dan Evans for the last few years. But, I mean, with this level of tennis, I mean, he's really proving to the world that he belongs. Um, and, if you know, if not like the top, top crap, but he's right there. He's knocking on the door and he's beating some guys um, who we've been really excited about. So that's certainly impressive. Uh, and then off to a great start. You know, he's already starting back in Adelaide once again, and he gets a 2-4 and four win over Londero. So he's looking good. He's carrying the momentum over from ATP Cup, which ultimately is what we want these guys to do, right? We want them to have a, a phenomenal competition, um, great competitive spirit in that environment. But then we want them to see, like, hey, these guys did great. Let's see them capitalize on that um, and, and move on in their next tournament where they're just competing by themselves. Can they carry that forward? Um, and, and at least with Dan Evans and a guy like Herkatch as well, it, looked, it, it seems like, they're yes, they are able to do that. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think there are a lot of winners and losers from uh, ATP Cup. Dimenauer, we talked about so much. Mm-hmm. Shapovalov last week as well. Hubie Hurkacz. I honestly thought Diego Schwartzman looked good. I know he took a lot of yeah. losses, but there were a lot of three-set losses. Yoshihito Nishioka looked really good for Team Japan in moments as well. And I think he took a, a wild card into challenger qualies this week, and he's unseated after coming in through the qualies. So, Poor soul, whoever draws Yoshi Nishioka in the first yeah. half of the week at the Challenger. That is, that's just rough sledding on sometimes how the draw breaks. But uh, I guess let's knock out the rest of the ATP Cup stuff now because you talk about that. They're one of my people in the categories of both winner and loser now in terms of uh, the winning. I think one thing to start off with is just how wonderful it's been to see so many players uh you know this event happening in australia take time to really bring recognition to the suffering that's going on there right now doing their part to bring you know whether it's through donations for each serve they hit or serena williams goes out of her way to just donate her entire prize money now obviously that's something she can afford to do but for djokovic and nadal i think it was seven hundred fifty thousand dollars right to the world wildlife uh initiative or I may have butchered that organization but so many because the Australian Open coming up are so aware of what's going on all of this suffering there and obviously our hearts are with all of the people going through all of that there's much more in the world that's important and more important than the tennis but it's great to see our athletes doing all they can to help all of those in need now 
the flip side of that of why ATP Cups in the winners and losers portions because as great as the on-court competition has been as great as it was to see Djokovic versus Nadal or another winner I have you know fans of the Djokovic Medvedev hard court matches Cincinnati the Australian Open last year this match here clearly the physicality they bring makes for a really fun contrast but there was also some stupid stuff you know from uh, I mean, the fact that not everyone can play this event and that they count for points and you see people jump up and reach new career highs in the rankings, which is fine, except for the fact that there's a bunch of players who don't have the opportunity to have this 19th tournament on their resume because this doesn't count for the individual portion. So, you know, there's stupid stuff from there. I know you, there are certain format things you don't like. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, uh, overall, for the first time, I, I think that the Encore product was a win. There's no denying that. People mm-hmm. really enjoyed the tennis. It was really good tennis, and it was really fun to see the best players compete against one another this early in the season to get a little sneak peek of what we should expect from Australia. Um, but there are certainly a lot of question marks heading into the week. I mean, I have other losers from the event, but initially I want to hear your thoughts on that, Jamie. Yeah, I mean, look, when we're, we're, we're sort of um, broadening the scope of it and, and looking at the ATP Cup as a whole, and, and I agree with you. I mean, I think um, really successful event. I know you alluded to some of the formatting, the format changes that, that I talked about with you last night, and um, we weren't in agreement on those. But regardless, I mean, I think, I think nobody can deny the event itself um, went really well. Um, you saw how into it the players were. And, and I think for me, you know, outside of – just the event itself and and you know some of it obviously the credit goes to them but obviously most of the credit goes to the players because the level of tennis um that was displayed was just really impressive to me um and and i know i've said it on a couple other pods in the last i don't know maybe week and a half as well but um just to be able to come off of the off season first big event of the year for a lot of people um you know, you, you maybe expect to see a little more rust. Um, maybe things don't look quite as in form. Um, and that just was not the case at all. Um, some of the matches that we were, you know, sort of blessed with seeing were some of the best matches I've seen in a really long time. Um, and so, I mean, especially when you get into the ones that were really emotionally charged, like the, the Damon Hour matches and, and, and things of that nature, right? I mean, those were absolute treats to be a part of and watch. So in that respect, yes. I mean, I think there was a lot of success and, and as a whole event, definitely a win. And they're definitely in the positive category. No doubt about that. Yeah. By the way, Yoshi Nishioka pulling out right now of his second round challenger match. Uh, so, you know, typical Alex curse there. Fun fact for you. Hey, great shot. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think the tennis was a win that we can ta- have takeaways. You saw these guys giving 110%. You even saw an on his best behavior because he's on probation curious. I mean, even his results you could take uh, something from. So agree with you that the tennis was a win. Now, of course, you know, replacing Hopman Cup with that event, having this event so close to the Davis Cup, it feels like this is just Davis yeah. Cup six Part weeks two. later or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, and so that's an issue. Um, but, I mean, I do want to talk about some of the losers from the tennis, and I'll keep this brief because it's really only two guys uh, or two topics from this. And then, again, I, I don't want to keep you on here too long so we can get back to, uh, to our final winners and losers and then sort of talk about the events that are coming up this week uh but you look at it nicholas jerry you mentioned that being a good win earlier jerry won his first title in sweden right after wimbledon he's lost 10 straight atp matches since then jamie so i don't know if it's that first title curse i don't know if he's like well i want a title i'm fine i don't really need to do anything else i'll be a hero in chile forever um 
But something's going on with Nicolas Jerry. Talk about a guy, big serve, big forehand. Something's, I mean, he's desperate to get back to the clay court season, but it's been a really rough stretch for him. Now, the other people, we talked a lot about American men tennis, so we'll keep this one brief. Team USA, 0-3 overall in the event, losing to Italy without Berrettini or Sinner, losing to Russia, fine, but losing to Norway as well. And they were 2-7 and in overall matches. I don't think they won a single doubles point, and if they did, that means Fritz was the only guy to win a singles match, and that was against Norway. That's rough. I mean, it's again, this is where you hope it's one of those things where it's like it's early in the season, so don't worry about it. Because with the Team Canada, Team Russia on the horizon, you're like, is this Team USA with all these talented 96, 97, 98ers going to win a Davis Cup? Man, I don't know. Like, it's it's going to be tough for them. It is going to be tough. Um, and, you know, certainly we did not get a lot of confidence from what we saw. Um, so there, there's no doubt about that. I think... Um, Ultimately, right, like you don't want to put too much weight in it and, and, to, and, and focus too negatively on it. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of difficult to, right? When you see some of those results and you're just you're shaking your head, and you're like, really? Um, and so, of course, in that regard, it's disappointing. And, you know, we don't need to belabor, belabor that. I mean, obviously, they're disappointed in that too, right? Um, but, I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, realistically, in team events, I mean, I think there are certain, you know, there are certain American players who I think will really make that a strong part of their career. Um, we'll see what other sort of changes ATP and the tours end up making, whether ATP cup sticks and how long that goes on, um, and Davis cup, if they change the spacing of it and, um, get even you know, get, get into things like labor cup where you have multiple American guys playing together. So I, I think we'll get to see, have plenty of opportunities to see them in other team dynamics and succeed. Um, but honestly, my biggest sort of fear with it is, is outside of the team dynamic and is like what does it mean for them individually right um because they're not drawing out a lot of confidence out of these to to say yeah i'm gonna have a great 2020 based on this um so that's kind of where my mind goes and and ultimately i mean yeah you, you kind of feel for them right like how are they gonna where are they gonna be at mentally coming into these to these big tournaments and and truthfully i don't know yeah i, I think that's completely fair and Look, John Isner hasn't gotten off to the start he wanted. Uh, Tiafo obviously hasn't either. For Riley Opelka, I think he lost in three sets. I think it was all seven, six sets. And so, you know, I think for, for him, it's like, well, that sort of result's going to happen to me every so often. So I, I'd be a little less upset if he was him. I think Sam Query got a win this week. But, yeah, I said it. We were good at the ATP Challenger level at the, for, in terms of U.S. men. We were great at the play-by-play level last week. But at the ATP level, you know, we got to step up our game a little bit as we head into the year's first slam. Uh, I mentioned Giannick Sinner. I want to sneak in one more loser before uh, we get to our final loser, and then we'll end with our, some winners to get people uh, in a positive spirit. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Ben Rothenberg, who we love so from the New York Times, always kind to give us time, come on as a guest on our Great Shot podcast, threw Yannick Sinner in his Tier 1 when we did our end-of-the-decade next-gen tier player rankings, which guys on the ATP side are going to emerge uh, throughout the decade. He threw Sinner as a guy who he saw you know, for sure winning a slam in the 2020s and his reasoning being well I haven't seen him lose yet and you know he played so well down the home stretch of 2019 that take Ben is a loser this week because <laughs> you look uh, for Yannick Sinner 0-2 to start his season three set loss to Benoit Paire now in an Instagram message Benoit Paire called him a future great and I guess you know if Benoit Paire thinks highly of you that always bodes well um, but he also lost to Emil Rusevori Rusevori 
uh, I butcher that, but in the first round of the Canberra Challenger. Now, Rusvuri, whatever, made the final of that Challenger, but straight set lost two losses to start Yannick's inner season. All I'm saying, Ben, is it is possible for him to lose. Wow, you're really just provoking something for a response here, aren't you? <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I mean, yeah, of course, that doesn't bode well. But, um, again, a guy that young and, and is still definitely working on the um, week-in, week-out consistency in terms of results. But, yeah, I mean, it doesn't worry me too much. Um, I, mean, I think 2020 is going to be a big one from him. I think it's an opportunity for him to jump because he has a little bit more exposure um, to having some good traction and results against bigger names, against – um, bigger players and so I, I think 2020 is going to be a big one for him um, I don't expect him to flop I mean look I'm not saying he's going to have the biggest exponential rise and, and you know come to the top of the game immediately but um, I, I, I expect him to progress um, really well throughout 2020 I, I think he's going to capitalize on that momentum he went from just being sort of a you know we could call it Twitter darling or whatever people who watch day in day out were like oh we really like this guy but I mean now he's he's becoming more into that household category name uh, name category, excuse me. Um, so I'm expecting big things from him out of 2020. I, I'm trying to not set too many large expectations on him um, to ultimately be disappointed. Um, and, and you don't want to just say, oh, I, you know, for a few months of 2019, he was phenomenal. So, you know, uh, I'm going all in. Um, but at the same time, really hard to watch him and not be excited for his future. So definitely expecting um, some some nice things from center in 2020. Yeah, you answer that way more seriously than I expected. I was just trying yeah, to work it. No, 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 that's good. I agree. I'm team center as well. But the last loser we want to talk about someone this is from the tease earlier by the way uh someone <laughs> yep. whose result now officially in the book sloan stevens who yep. after ending last year not in a fashion she was looking for i think she had lost five of her last seven matches on the year two quick losses for her to start off 2020 she loses in straight uh in three sets excuse me last week uh, to Sam- Samsonova, 6-4-2-6-6-3. Gets blown out today by Rodianova, 6-2-6-2. Now, it could just be uh, you know a thing against the Ovas. They have her number. Um, but it's Ova when she plays an Ova. Come on, Westoff, give me some sort of drum beat there. See, I'll leave it up to you. Um, the problem with that is that there are so many Ovas, and we learned that through, <laughs> what was that, the U.S. Open women's trivia? Yeah. There were like 97 of them in the draw. So, like... That 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 uh, that doesn't bode well for her if that truly is the case. But no, sorry, I cut you off. Continue. No, 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 no. I you didn't cut me off because for Sloane Stevens, it's just that the concerns continue heading into 2020. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, Sloane's 26, um, and she's going to be 27 coming up in the spring. So um, definitely not you know the the sort of young rising up and comer that she was. Just God, it seems like seems like not that long ago, but I guess it's multiple years ago now. But um, look, I mean, you said it, um, pretty much the, a lot of 2019, um, we've seen some of the lower end of her career in terms of just what we've expected from her. Um, look, I mean that you, that first round U S open loss three and four, just kind of like, uh, okay. I mean, she's a seed. And then, you know, right after that, it goes to Japan loses, um, Oh, and three to Georgie, right? So, I mean, we can list results all day here, but ultimately you said it, it has not looked good as of late for Sloan Stevens. And, um, it's unfortunate too, because even tonight we were thinking about talking about her and then we saw, well, we'll see what happens the rest of the match 17 or whatever minutes later, it's over, um, two and two and she's out. So, um, I mean, look, there's a lot of things we could say and we could dive into some, some poor results from her, but realistically, I mean, I think it's just a worrisome thing. I mean, Gruskin, what do you think this spells for 2020? 
Well, it's two losses to start her year to players outside, you know, two losses to start your year to players outside of the top 100. Just, yeah. that's not good. I, I I completely agree with you. By the way, another live result, and this is half the fun of recording this nighttime podcast as we get results as we go. Tommy yes, Paul, a first-round winner over Alias Bedene, uh, as we learned to pronounce right beforehand. So, I agree. Good win for Tommy, but... For Sloane Stevens, it's just about confidence. I mean, we're two years removed from her clearly being a top five, if not top three mm-hmm. player on the WTA Tour. So the form is there. We all know that now. You know, there's so many good young and up-and-comers. And Ashley Barty lost first round. She avoids being in the losers category because she made the finals of doubles. Um, But, you know, people who had good weeks. Uh, I mean, obviously, Serena Williams. You know, I'll, I'll throw in some other names here as I answer your question. She has now won titles in four different decades after she won this past week. I want to say she wasn't in Brisbane. She won in uh-huh. Auckland. Uh, yeah, she beat, you know, a bunch of good players along the way. I think she only dropped one set uh, in that round of 16. She dropped a set to McHale. She did not drop a set in the quarterfinals. Straight set win over Anisimova, and then in that final, three and four over Pegula. You know, first uh, title for her since becoming a mom. Uh, she made that final. You know, she's she's made a bunch of major finals. Obviously, she just still hasn't gotten the job done since that 2017 Australian Open. Uh, but then there are other players, the Amanda Nisimovas who of the world. You know, her, Sophia Kennan, looked really good to start off their seasons. Naomi Osaka making the semifinals. She got good wins uh, over Sakari, Kennan, and Burtons before losing to Karolina Pliskova, who is another name you throw in there, right? Karolina Pliskova defends her Brisbane title. She knocked off Osaka. Madison Keys, who looked great. Ali Tamjanovic, Ali Risk, who's also looked good to start this season. Uh, and then you have all the other young players, the Benchiches, Andrescu, who, as we learned, unfortunately, we, tennis fans are losers this week because we learned she's going to be out of this year's Australian Open, still recovering from her knee injury. But it's awfully tough if you're Sloane Stevens because of how loaded the WTA is right now with either players in the Pliskova, you know, the... Um, Simona Halep mold who are still in their prime right now like Stevens age-wise also with all the up-and-comers as well nipping on their heels if Sloane Stevens doesn't find that form first her window for winning slams I'm not saying it's shut let's be clear I'm not but it could close because there are so many other good players right now for her to compete with confidence will be that much more important oh yeah absolutely I mean there are just so many good players out there and especially you know on the WTA side right like we get into these things and man anyone can win anyone can win any event um and so it's scary for them when Serena comes back and is in good form because that a lot of times eliminates that sort of possibility I felt like um on the WTA for for a long time if Serena's out there yeah you probably don't have much of a shot but if she was out or wasn't in good form then it was almost chaos because it was truly anybody's tournament right um and so either scenario there is scary for someone like Sloane Stevens who hasn't been looking her best and I gotta give a quick shout out to um my what would it I don't know final, but one of my final sort of winners um, of the week or whatever, and and that's the the women that were playing in Auckland. Not only Serena Williams, you listed a bunch of other American names in that crop, um, and also on the double side of that tournament, um, Taylor Townsend um, and Muhammad get the win six four six four over call. Taylor Townsend, who is looking for an Australian Open yes. doubles partner. How funny so, does that look? Um, <laughs> yeah. no, but um, you know they get a win in dubs in that, and it's over Serena and it was Nyaki. So three of the four. Um, finalists are American there and a a huge win for them. And just throughout the tournament, you're just, 
it's fun to see, right? You're seeing all the wins with the American flags next to them. So um, it's always good to see. But in terms of Sloan specifically, yes, I mean, I think that's probably part of the concern, right, is that, yeah, all these people are catching up and looking really good, and ultimately she's just not been able to find her A game. Yeah, I think I'm glad you mentioned all of the players you did because there were a lot of people who looked really good to kick off uh, this 2020 season in particular. We mentioned Serena, who again, we have to throw in as a winner here. Four decades with the title. Yeah, that's wild. ridiculous. The winner's check goes immediately uh, to the first responders, to fighting those fires in Australia. That's awesome. Um, of course, Jeannie Bouchard had a resurgence this week. She got a couple of wins. I think she made the quarterfinals here uh, before losing in three sets to Anisimova. So who knows? Maybe 2020. You know, Jeannie Bouchard's like a 1995 or 1994 at oldest. She's like a year or two years older than us, James. So I feel like there's definitely still some good tennis in her. Wozniacki uh, inching close to the finals. I believe she lost in the semifinals to Pagula in three mm-hmm. sets. She's on the home stretch of her career, so it was really cool to see her make that run. I want to give a shout-out uh, to Ekaterina Alexandrova, who won our other WTA title this past week in Shenzhen Uh, five wins for her only one set loss she's now one off her career high of 26 sitting at number 27 in the live rankings so yes to echo your point for Sloan Stevens it you can you can just lose track of things very quickly and so you know for her you, you just you don't want to let this losing streak go on because before you know it you're outside the top 75 and now you got to play qualies for a bunch of the big events and your life just becomes exponentially harder. Yep, completely agree. Yeah. yeah, so all right, with that in mind, we hit, I believe, most, if not all, of my winners and losers. I have one left. It's the Tennis Channel team. If you guys are watching Tennis Channel Live, uh, they're both a winner and a loser because they got six of the eight photos wrong on the Tennis Channel Live graphic, uh, but then they did a really fun video. Uh, it was really poking fun at themselves, and self-deprecation earns trust, as a wise man once said. So I enjoyed that whole social media exchange, but I was a little bit tuned out. Anything else from you, James? Uh, I think we just got to really quickly hit the Rublev train here, um, just because oh, he looked—he just looks so good um, in Qatar. And then, you know, obviously, maybe he's uh, maybe that sends a little message to Russia that he should have been an ATP Cup. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Losers, like, Marat Safin right, for exactly. not calling him in. Like, hey, and and I don't I. I honestly don't know how that you know conversation went down, and obviously we don't. But um, I mean, well, it's by ranking. But in terms of like showing up even for like dubs and whatnot, yeah, and team spirit, true. you know, he could he could have absolutely been there. He's yeah, he's in there he's in like, that exactly. Me. He's in there with that crop. Like to me, it was odd to not see Medvedev, Hachinov, and Rublev all together. I, that's all I'm saying. But regardless, he goes off and he's like, "Well, screw it," <laughs> goes and gets himself a title, right? Title. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And he looked phenomenal doing it. So um, I think that's one. Whether he's actually standing there and. Um, you know, putting up the middle finger, I don't know. But ultimately, that's what his results did <laughs> to the ATP Cup team. There's no doubt about that. So just had to sneak that one in there, too, because, man, has he looked impressive. No, I appreciate that. Four Rublev, uh, four wins over Kukushkin, Erber, Kasmenovic, Mutet. Uh, he didn't drop a set all week yep. long. He did look that good. So did Miomir Kasmenovic, by the way, who made the semifinals, wiped out Joe Wilfred Sanga in the second round. So yeah. good week for two more young guys there. Oh uh, yeah, it, it, a ton of winners and losers, and again, 
we try not to take too much from week one. This pod going as long as it has, probably a testament to A. Maybe we spent a little bit too much time on the 98 men. That's because I asked you a seven-part question, but B, uh, because it's really exciting to have tennis in our lives again. And of course, once the tennis season starts, it certainly does not stop, Jamie. Uh, Four more events this week on the ATP or WTA level, two on each side. You look at the draw uh, in Auckland. Lots of seeds in play there. Number two seed, Denis Shapovalov. Four seed, John Isner. Three seed, Karen Hetchanov. Number one seed, Fabio Fognini. And yes, for some reason, I just went from bottom to top of the draw there. <laughs> I apologize for that. We have Mikhail Yimmer, as we mentioned, already knocking out Tiafo. Hubie Hercatch knocking off Lorenzo Sinego. Pair over Sinner. Montiero over Nori Sandgren over Venus. And the least surprising thing, not, not Venus Williams, by the way, Michael Venus, who's you know, it'd be more likely to see Venus in the ATP Auckland draw, in my opinion, singles-wise, than Michael Venus. Uh, but for Tennis Sandgren, that's a good win for him there. It's going to be fun to watch him play Isner tomorrow. And then in Adelaide for the men, we have Jaume Munar replacing the number one seed there as a lucky loser. But Opelka, the number eight seed, already out. Carino Busta going to play Chardy tomorrow. Laszlo Gier, uh taking on Lloyd Harris, who beat the number six seed, Christian Guerin. Taylor Fritz losing first round to Sasha Bublik, four and six. Sam Query going to play Andre Rublev tomorrow. The number two seed here this week, uh, Felix Ogier Aliasim, who's going to play James Duckward. Number seven seed, Struff, who plays Caruso. Winner plays Herbert or Bolt. Fun week on the ATP side. On the WTA side, we do have a premier event this week. Uh, that's the event in Adelaide, I believe. Maybe it's the Hobart one. I'm not sure level-wise which is which, but, you know, big players in both draws, people wanting to get some reps in before uh, the Australian Open first slam of the year starts. Muguruza in play here, Kudermatova, Lauren Davis, Lynette, the sixth seed. I mean, we do have people pulling out, it seems, in this Hobart draw because I'm not seeing a lot of seeded players in the draw. Uh, but in Adelaide, things get a little bit better. We mentioned Sloane Stevens losing there already. Ashley Barty going to give her season start a second go. She'll play Pavlochenkova tomorrow. Von Drusova, the eight seed there. Belinda Bencic gets her first win of the year. Uh, Danielle Collins going to take on Sophia Kennan. That'll be a fun one. Sakari Vekic should be a really good one. Yastremska uh, Kerber will be great. Simone Halep kicks off her year against Alia Tamjanovic. Uh, Sabalenka versus C is going to be really fun. So, Big week of tennis, and then, of course, above all of that, Jamie, Australian Open qualities underway, and we would be remiss if we didn't talk about, you know, the smoke in mm-hmm. the air, the fires again. We talked about them earlier, but it's impossible to separate the two. It's going to affect play. We saw qualifying earlier today get pushed back because the conditions were un- unplayable. Uh, we do have qualities, though, starting, and we already have some results. I, I can read you the winners thus far. Kovalchuk, Rosell, Trevisian, uh, Shelby Rogers, Bolseva, Luxeville, Caroline Dalahide, number nine seed Bonaventure, Mager, Govercetova, Baptiste, and Paolo Lorenzi. Jamie, I mentioned a lot of things there, so you don't have to comment on each one this time, but of the five events, what are you most excited for? Oh boy, that's tough. Um, Rank them just like you no, did the ninety-eight. I'm not doing that. And by twenty twenty-five, mm, which will be the most relevant. No, I mean I think just given <laughs> some of our other conversation, I think where my eyes are naturally going to go, Adelaide. 
Um, I think there's a lot of people who we're interested in, um, you know, who are looking to ramp up some momentum prior to Aussie Open are going to be there. Men and women. Of course. Yeah, exactly. That's one event where you get to see ATP and WTA. So easy answer for me there. Not easy, but, uh, you know, kind of cheating. I don't get just to pick one event, but one location. Um, get to see both both sides of those and both those draws. Um, I think, too, um, obviously, you get, you you love to see the quads for Australian Open. Once again, just like you mentioned, the, the, the smoke um, and the situation there. Hopefully, it's not impacting it too horribly. Although, you know, when you're looking across tennis Twitter and, and everything else, you're seeing some of the concern. But, um, you know, we're getting matches completed. We're getting matches played. So, of course, that's good. And, um, yeah, you mentioned... Uh, Lorenzi getting the win there, so we gotta gotta plug ourselves. Recent cracked interview guest. Oh, um, so, well done, James. Wow, you, you proud of me? <laughs> no, but uh, that's a, that one's been a ton of fun, and honestly, it's it's really fun too to be able to watch guys and then um, or, or women and 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 then listen to how they think about their game and then go see them put it into action, right? And so, um, great to see him get a win, of course, and you know. Now he's got another fan in the Cracked Rackets family, so uh, always good. Always good to see. No, you should know that, listeners, that applause was from me, not from Westoff. So, <laughs> well done, JV. Yeah, always appreciate a subtle plug, and if you've missed any of the podcasts you referenced, the Hurt Catch, any of the stuff from the off season, uh, go to our website, CrackedRackets.com. This podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast, the Great Shot podcast, if you missed any of our Best of the Decade series episodes, those hold up well. Go uh, give those a like, rate, subscribe, review on iTunes. We're not, you know, no no free giveaways anymore. At the Isner Racket has been given to our friend Hudson Hatfield. Shout out to him. He left a review across all three platforms. Uh, but we, we still ask, you know, if you enjoy what you do, it really helps us. There's there, there's reasons why uh, the technology stuff I leave to Westoff and Dalton, but it, it, it does help us. So please, if you have time, take the time. It's five seconds. It won't take you long. And then I can stop bugging everyone to do it. So go give that a look for the more immediate updates. You missed anything from Ann Arbor from last week's action. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at Cracked Rackets. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Lingner and Daniel Westoff, who have a of an editing job to do, as they always do. And, you know, it's almost go time for them. Slam season. And that means slam previews coming up this week, Jamie. Obviously, we still have the four events plus Australian Open qualities at the ATP and WTA levels to break down uh, college contenders, our final college contenders episode before the college tennis dual match season kicks off. And by the way, that has already kicked off. And even post-college contenders, Chris, Matt, and I will be coming back at least once a week to be you know, chatting about all things from the college tennis world. Uh, but Jamie, any final thoughts before we wrap tonight's pod other than why did you keep me on here for so long, Alex? Well, I mean, that's fair. But honestly, this one, you know, sometimes I feel like it's just you dragging it along. This time, I feel <laughs> like there was just so much to talk about that, like, I don't know, I can I can justify an hour mini break pod, right? Like, there's just so much to talk about. And you, know, you talk about all the great events coming up. And it, truthfully, it just comes down to this. Tennis is back, right? Um, and, you know, so, of course, we're going to be excited and, and probably talk, you know, half an hour too long. But that's okay for now. Um, since it's a new year, that, that sort of resets. That sort of resets. And so I'm not jaded about the whole situation. So we're good. Uh, no, but it's been a ton of fun. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And, of course, I'm looking forward to doing a phenomenal uh, Aussie Open preview pod with you because we got to, you know, we got to one up what we did for the U.S. Open. So I don't, again, we both know <laughs> that's going to be difficult to do. That's hilarious. Yeah, we still have a quota that we can use in 2020 for pods that were a little bit too long. So uh, <laughs> number we're one, definitely, take it yeah. up. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, for sure. But with that in mind, and again, Matt, Chris, and I will be back tomorrow taking the podcast from you, Jamie, to complete our College t- Contender Series. But for now, for my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, for the super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire teams at both Tennis Channel and the, uh, sorry, from both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, my name is Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell our listeners? It's usually a mini break. This time it was a mega break. <laughs> new, new outro for the 2020 season. <laughs> I like that. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks.